You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Morning. We're going to continue looking in our series in 1 Corinthians in just a moment. I hope you're all well and had a, a good week, perhaps a good Valentine's Day, perhaps a terrible one, who knows. You either love it or hate it, I suppose. In our household, we're at such a stage in our life at the moment that we have three young children. We're trying to get them out the door for school on Thursday morning. And I suddenly sort of went to my wife. She was trying to get one of their shoes on in the porch. And I said, oh, oh, happy Valentine's Day, sweetheart. She said, yep. (laughs) That was it. That was our Valentine's. Um, It's just how it went this year. That's okay. Um, Well, it kind of fits because today we're going to talk about the absence of love. Um, it fits because we're talking about actually the most, the most uh, celebrated, famous passage in the Bible on the topic of love, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we're going to look at just the first three verses, which is more talking, as I said, about the absence of love before it starts to talk about what love is. And, uh, and we'll get into that. Uh, I'll read it first and then we'll pray and then we'll go crack on from there. It says this in chapter 13. Verse 1 to 3, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I'm just going to stop after each verse for a second, because we've just been learning in the last few weeks about Paul saying there's gifts in the church, gifts of tongues and spiritual languages. And here he's saying, if I use these, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels and I'm very spiritual, but I don't have love then I'm just a loud noise and quite an irritating one. Then he goes on to say, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, and you could think, wow, those are impressive things. Prophetic powers, understanding mysteries and all knowledge, and faith enough to move mountains, that's so impressive. But he says, if I don't have love... I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm not impressive. And thirdly, if I give away all that I have, wow, so generous. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, wow, to to talk about martyrdom and self-sacrifice, surely that's loving. Well, actually, if I do it without love, I gain nothing. So God's not even impressed with that. So we're looking at the absence of love. We're going to pray and then we're going to as I said, get into it. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness in giving us your son. Enough to give his life up for us, that we would be reconciled to you, that we would be called sons and daughters, that we would be brought right in, as we've been singing, to the throne room. Free from any guilt and shame, that we would know what it is to be sons of God. Thank you, God. You haven't, turned, you haven't called us to turn over a new leaf. You've called us to new life. And Lord, we thank you for your word that teaches us what that life can look like and opens up our hearts. Lord, thank you you put your, your spirit within us so that we can understand. Thank you for your word that is breathed out by you and profitable for, for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness that we may be competent and equipped. Lord, we pray this morning, would you train us? Would you correct us? Would you help us to be competent? We don't want to just hear your word and go away thinking that was interesting. Lord, I pray you would mold us and shape us as your church this morning. 
I pray for those who are with us who don't know you, Lord. Would you love them this morning? Would you help us to love them? Would you help us to see people brought through right into your family as they understand Jesus is saying, you are welcome. Come in. Come in. Lord, we pray for those people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we, we, we're looking at, um, as I said, chapter 13. And it's worth looking at the context of chapter 13, uh, particularly because we can often think of chapter 13 as this kind of chapter that's just dropped in to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, as the go-to love chapter without recognizing it's in a context. And Paul does kind of go uh, wax lyrical about things when he's writing his letters. He does kind of go off on one sometimes, often about being united with Christ and our salvation. And he goes off on one, but when he does that, he's not digressing. He's, he's going deeper into his points. He's helping us to understand. So it's good for us to look at the context. And last week we were looking at chapter 12 and the spiritual gifts where Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts... And then he told us, and we heard from Tom a few weeks ago, that there are many spiritual gifts. They're diverse, but they're all given by the same God. They're all for the same reason, the common good for building up the body. And then he focuses more on the analogy of the body and says, look, the body has many parts and all parts, all roles are valuable. And that's really important for us in the church to recognize that because in our culture, we see the prominent people as the valuable people. We look at screens all the time, and we notice people on TV and, uh, and, uh, and in sports and in different, um, yeah, different celebrities. And we think because they are prominent, they're valuable, and we can let that creep into the church and think, well, it must be the people on the stage, and it must be the people on the microphone that are valuable. But Paul says quite Clearly, that is not true. In chapter 12, verse 22, he said, the parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So perhaps if you're somebody here who thinks, I'm not sure if I've got much to bring, God says you're indispensable. You can bring such health to the body. And we looked a little bit at that, about how the body with one part suffers, the whole body suffers. And when one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. And we know something of that at Hope Church, where we see in the first service today, we had a baby Thanksgiving, and we, we rejoice together. And we see people get baptized, and we rejoice together. And when we hear stories of healings and people coming to faith, we rejoice as a body because we are a body together. But I'll tell you something, I think we can get better at it. We can certainly get better at it. We've had a, a prophetic word over us recent, recently where God says to us, we feel... I want you to learn how to celebrate. Isn't that a great word to have as a church? God's saying, I want you to learn how to celebrate together, how to rejoice together, how to perhaps honor one another better. We want to grow in that. Also, how do we, we suffer together? And we, we do that, we pray together, we cry together, we stand together. But again, I know, and partly this is going to come into what we're speaking about today, we can grow in this as a church. We can come alongside each other better. We can suffer together well. This is Christ-like love. All have gifts, we heard, but not all gifts are the same measure. But he does say, do desire the gifts. And then last week, we looked at chapter 14, particularly at the gifts of prophecy and speaking in heavenly languages or tongues. I sometimes like to say languages because tongues just makes me think of lots of tongues and it's weird. So the spirit of... Uh, heavenly languages that God gives us. And 
Paul is very helpful in chapter 14. He gives us guidelines and practical advice. This is how to use them, how not to use them. Um, just be aware, if you, if you have an outsider come in and you're all speaking in tongues, it will look weird to them. Very practical. He's not trying to be very spiritual in the way he's speaking. He's being very practical, saying, look, this, 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 is, this will help, this won't help. Prophecy is for the building up of the body. Tongues will only build you up unless somebody else comes and gives an interpretation because no one knows what you're talking about. So he gives us practical advice. And then chapter 13 comes right in amongst this. Chapter 13 is in the middle of Paul opening up about spiritual gifts, starting to address spiritual gifts, and then going specifically into prophecy and the gift of languages. Chapter 13 is right there. And why am I making this point? Well, as I said, it's so easy to think of this as the go-to chapter that is read out at weddings and is, was actually read out at Princess Diana's funeral. It might be something that is required when we want to have an, where an occasion where grand sentiment is required. We might use chapter 13 of the Bible, where people want to hear beautiful literature and poetry, but don't really want an overt Christian message. Because it doesn't talk about Jesus or God. It doesn't talk about sin. And so that's quite a nice one. Let's go to that. But actually, there's a misunderstanding there because it is an overtly Christian passage. It's not about love in general. It is specifically a call to the local church context. In the gifts that God has given us, he wants us to be giving them and working in them under the compulsion of love. That's the whole point. He writes these letters, Paul, to all these churches at the end of the Bible. Every time his desire is to build them up, to help them to know what does God desire a local church to look like? It's clear that Paul is talking to a church who are eager about experiencing the supernatural. And he's teaching them, as I said, not just the right way to do it, but the whole point of the spiritual gifts. The whole point is to bring about health, love, growth. I wonder what you think of when you think of a healthy church. If I were to ask you, what do you think of when you think of a healthy church or, or an impressive church? What should an impressive church look like? Or even what is God's goal for the church? If you think about that, what's God's goal? Many answers could come to mind. Perhaps big numbers. You think, wow, there are churches in Asia that are hundreds of thousands of people in a church. That is incredible. That is impressive. People coming to faith in Jesus. I love to hear about that. There's a church that I know of, a guy in the States. His town is 10,000 people. His church is 1,000 people. You think, whoa, 10% of the town are in your church. You can have such an impact. That's so amazing. Imagine we had 13,000, 14,000 people in our church. We could really impact Ipswich in a, in, a, in a way that people can't avoid. That could be really impressive. You think, yeah, that's, that's, that's an impressive, healthy church. Or maybe a big building, you might drive past and think, wow, that's an impressive church. And perhaps we need to be aware of that going into our big building. What about good music? Maybe you've spent time in a church where you think, oh, this is just dead. I don't like worshipping in this church. It's really hard. And you go to another church where you think, this is more like it. It's a church I can dance in, church I can sing in. I love the music in the church. That helps me feel this church is in a healthy place. There are other things, looking after the poor and needy, good biblical preaching. Maybe you listen to podcasts like me and you think, I always listen to that church because they've got great preaching. 
or moving in signs and wonders, spiritual gifts. You think, I love that church. They're so clearly moving in spiritual gifts. Signs and wonders, miracles. They see healings and people are always allowed to prophesy and we, we see health there. And then there are other things, giving money generously and a, a church that prays well. You think all these things are signs of health, signs of life. They're, they're biblical. But are they the thing that God looks for when he wants to see a church growing healthy? Well, we're going to look at what Paul says to a number of churches to see what is he looking for? What is God looking for in a church? First of all, he says to the Corinthians when he's writing to them, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That's what Paul sees in a healthy church. Your faith is growing and your love for one another is increasing. And your love for one another is not just a lovely, you're kind to each other, you, you, you make cakes for each other, oh, that's lovely. But your love for each other is, is a love that helps you in your faith. You're, you help each other in your love towards growing faith, growing abundantly. And I'll tell you why I think that. It's because he goes on to say, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in afflictions that you're enduring. So their love for each other, their growing in faith, helps each other to persevere with steadfastness. And this steadfastness is not mere stoicism. It's not that they're just good at putting their heads down and going, come on, let's just keep going. I really hate this. I'm miserable, but just keep going. No, they're 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 a community of love, helping each other to stay strong, consistently enduring and trusting Jesus. What is faith? It's trusting Jesus. They're growing in faith. They're growing in their trust for God. Trusting in Jesus for for everything that he says, everything that he's done. And this is important for us because they're enduring trusting in Jesus through the same pressures that we experience. Pressure to give up. And Christians, we find it's pressure to give up. When you think, oh, I'm, I'm dry, I'm weary, I'm tired. Or maybe pressure to conform to the world around us. You think, man, that looks really inviting. That seems to make sense to me. It's not biblical. And, and their love for each other is helping each other to persevere in steadfastness, growing in faith, holding on to Christ. Don't let go. Don't give in. Don't conform. Don't run to sin. Temptation for us to run to sin. And we're not supposed to wage war on our own. We're supposed to be a body that loves each other and wages war together. We celebrate together, we suffer together, but we also stand together. That's what Paul is saying. There's some health about these churches. They love one another in in their faith. And isn't that the two things that he points to there? Doesn't it remind you of someone? When Jesus is asked, "What's what's the greatest commandment? We know all the commandments. What's the greatest one? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, all your mind. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And here's Paul later on saying, this is a healthy church, a church that loves God, has faith in God, is pointing towards God, and loves one another in a way that you can encourage others. Keep loving God. Keep looking to God. Keep trusting God. This is God's heart for the church. And 
Paul says to the Ephesians, he's helping the, Ephes- uh, helping the Ephesians to understand these are what gifts are given to the body. Gifts are given to the church. Uh, roles are given to the church. What are they for? What's the point of gifts given to the church? He says this in chapter 4 of Ephesians. He gave apostles. God gave prophets. He gave evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Again, it's, it's the growth into uh, to faith in God, holding on to God, stature and fullness in Christ. And what is the impact of that? We are no longer like children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried around by every wind of doctrine. No, you know you're anchored in Christ. By human cunning, you can be pulled to the left or right. By craftiness in deceitful schemes. Then he says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Then later he says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God's heart for the church, Paul's heart for these churches, is that they grow up in Christ, faith in Christ, through love. The, 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 the means of the gifts is love. The foundation of the gifts is love. The pinnacle of the gifts is love. The thrust of the gifts is love. He's saying this is not just a how-to. This is the whole point of the gifts, is love. He says to the Philippians, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Love each other and be discerning together so that you may approve what's excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We're called to be churches that stand together in love. That's how God would see there's maturity there, there's growth there. And when we apply this passage in its context to the local church, rather than just at a wedding, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's not, that's not primarily what it's for. When we apply it in its context, there it becomes suddenly so practically helpful for us. As a church body, as Christ's body, as his bride, as his household, these words that he describes the church as, if, it is, uh, if we're using this passage in context, the bride is more beautiful. The household is more loving and more strong. The body is more strong. Because this passage uncovers the weaknesses, gaps, failures, and sins in any Christian community. And it is a particular challenge to any church who has seen outward success in its ministry. That's what the commentary says that I was studying this week. Now listen to that again, because Hope Church, we have had some outward success in our ministry. We've got a great new building in the center of town. We're seeing some growth in numbers week after week. We are growing in some good other areas of serving the town and growing in life groups. But he says this, it is a particular challenge, this passage, to any church which has seen outward success in its ministry. He's saying, be careful, Hope Church. These words cut us down to size. They humble us because we begin to see what really matters to God. 1 Corinthians 13 is what really matters to God. When this passage is in its context, we understand, oh, okay, this, this shapes us. 
So what is this love that he's talking about? If you do this without love, if you do that without love, it's, it's, a, it's a waste of time. What love are you talking about? Did you know that what is love is the most Googled question? People want to know, what is love? Most people probably think sometimes, I, pretty, I know we all know what love is. I don't mean to need to be told what love is. But if you think about it more and more, you think love, the, the definition of love is all over the place. People think that love, if, if you love me, you won't challenge me. If you love me, you'll never confront any decision I make. It's not biblical at all. So we need to go back to Jesus to see what love is. Go back to the words, what is love? What is love? Well, C.S. Lewis, uh, the author, he, he talks about, he's, he wrote a book called The Four Loves. He talks about four loves that you can see in the Bible. And uh, he distinguishes them. Eros is the first one, a kind of romantic love where the lovers are hungry for each other. Phylos, friendship love, where two people are linked arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder with a common vision and a common goal and a delight and a partnership pulling together toward the goal. Storge, an affection that one might have for an old sweater or slippers, an old dog that you, can't, you just can't let go of. And the last love Lewis describes is in a completely different category. You've probably heard of it. The first three loves are all responsive. They are all because of the feeling or the reward you receive. The last one is called agape. It's a New Testament Greek word agape. And it is a divine benevolent love, meaning it's about the giver of the love more than about the thing being loved. It's characterized by kindness in and of itself, not responsive, but sacrificial It's a love for the utterly unworthy. A love which proceeds from a God who is love. We were singing face to face with love itself earlier on. Jesus is love. God is love. And agape love proceeds from the God who is love. It's a love lavished on others without a thought of whether they are worthy to receive it or not. As Christians, we know this is incredible. He loves me. Not because of what I'm like. He loves me because of what he's like. That can't change. Therefore, I fail and he loves me. That's amazing. That's life-changing. It proceeds rather from the nature of the lover than from any merit in the beloved. This is the love which, according to Jesus, has to characterize and control the Christian community. If it is in any sense to be recognized as Christian. And if he is to be recognized as God's son and the world's savior. As a church, as the church of Christ in the world, we have to represent him through his love. The way he loved. If we're to be called Christian, we must, according to Jesus, be characterized by his love. It's about being the body of Christ. Not just in what we do, but how we do it. Jesus came to complete a mission. And at the very core of that mission, the compulsion and, as I said earlier, the pinnacle was love. It's easy to get caught up in activities, isn't it? Easy as a church thing. What are we supposed to be doing? What should we be doing as a Christian? What should I do? What, what shouldn't I be doing? But the compulsion, the whole activity needs to be caught up in love. If we get caught up in the activity without the love, that's, that's pharisaical. The right actions for the wrong reasons are the wrong actions. We could so easily think, I'm doing this, 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 
And as Paul was saying in this letter, you could be doing very impressive things, very spiritual things, very seemingly selfish things, but if they're done for the wrong reason, they are the wrong things. Because agape love is one-way love. It's not so that I can be raised in my profile or things like that. So when we think about the way we behave in community and the things that will build up the body to bring life to others looking in, we can't think of the spiritual gifts will do it. Let's be really full on about spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy, other impressive things. Our building, our innovative ideas, the life groups that we have, even incredible faith, sacrificial religion, these things are wonderful, but this is the point, they are dead without Christ's love. Jesus came to bring life through his love. We need life to penetrate. We need life to be the changing thing. And life of love. Jesus did it through love. We need to grow up into Christ. We need Christ's love. We don't put our confidence into these other things. Jesus didn't just say, I want you to do this, this, and this, and then you'll see the kingdom of God. You know, you must... uh, be good, and then to see the kingdom of God. You, you must, uh, he didn't say you must work a bit harder. What did he say? To see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must be a new creation. New creation, new definition of life, new definition of love. That is what the world will look at and see. That's something different. That's something that I don't see anywhere else. A, a new friend of mine who spent many years in addiction. I've been talking to her lately and she said she was going to AA meetings and NA meetings and and she was doing really well in her own determination to stay clean and she was looking into existential things. She was looking into Buddhism and other ideas for answers. She recently, I think she said she was actually trying to meditate and suddenly she had an encounter with the love of Jesus and she knew it was Jesus. She just knew, she couldn't tell me why, she just knew it was Jesus And now her life is completely turned around. She's not saying, it's lovely, he's really nice, he's very sweet, he does whatever I want. She doesn't say that stuff. She says this, it's like I've got a completely new life. I've been cleansed inside. I've got completely new desires. My old addictions are completely broken. I can't stop reading the Bible. I want to know as much as I can. I love how she says things that come straight out of here without knowing it. She's had an encounter with the love of Jesus, and she knows, I've got new life. That's what it says in here. An encounter with Jesus helps somebody to, uh, well, well, it's authentic. It's authentic to what Jesus says. She hasn't just met with the love of Jesus and thought, oh, it's nice. I'll add him onto my life. I'll try a bit harder. I'll be a good person. I'll call myself a Christian. No, her whole worldview has turned upside down. It's completely changed. Her allegiance has changed. She's not just thinking, okay, now if I, if I still, you know, if I add him, I can still get my goals. I can still set everything that I wanted, my dreams, and I can still get there. No, they've, they've been thrown out. My new dream is to follow what he wants me to do. She said, my desires have changed. I don't want sex before marriage anymore. I don't want these things anymore. She knows the statement that Jesus said is more true now than ever. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it in its fullness. She's met with the love of God and she's found, this is life. I've been given life. She's saying, I was blind and now I see. I was lost, now I'm found. I was dead 
And now I'm alive. And this is what an experience of the love of Jesus does. And we are called to walk in the same love. So the world can see, but also so that we can grow strong and healthy together. And when Paul talks of love or lack of love, he's talking about a type of living which has been seen only ever in one other man and in his authentic body through the ages. Because we are Christ's body. If we're authentic to him, the world will say, hey, I recognize that. That's Jesus. I've seen that in somebody before. That's Jesus' love. That's Jesus' behavior. People looking on will think, I recognize that. That's why Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You love one another. Not just, I figured out love, yeah, I'll love my neighbor. No, we look at Christ. How did he love? Okay, I love how he loved. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I sometimes, it's so nice to read a a sentence that you've read so many times and then just put the emphasis on a different word and you think, wow, that changes it for me. This is how people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how they'll know that they're, they're like Jesus. Look at how they love each other. That is like Christ. They are his. It's a bit like people say, about children of their parents, and they see something that's similar. They say, oh, the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. Yeah, they look, it looks like you're, you look like your dad when you do that. And when people see the, the culture of love in the church, they're supposed to be able to see, look how they love each other. They are his disciples. They look like him. That's why Paul says in his next letter to the Corinthians, Christ's love compels us. It compels us. He says this, we may look out of our mind, with the behavior that we give, with the way we love you, with the way we've come and given ourselves to you. Some say that we look out of our mind. If they say that, it's for God. It's for God. And then he says this, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. Therefore, all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We don't just have a, a, a lovely mascot that we look to. We have a savior who we are now in. Our old self has died. And we're now alive in Christ. We raised with him. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us this ministry to themselves, yes, but also within the church, to reconcile people to God. Reconcile, to bring back together. So to the world we can say, did you know that in Christ you can be brought back into relationship with God? And we can be a ministry to the world, but also to each other. I had the, recon- I had the, the ministry of reconciliation yesterday with my toddler. when he, We were going for a walk together and he decided, I'm not coming with you, I'm over there. And I had to say, come, come back in. Come back in, come back with us. And that's what we can do in the family as well. Ministry of reconciliation is to grow up. Come, remember what we are. Remember who you are. Come back in. You're, you're making a strange decision, an unbiblical choice. I love you. Come back in. Be reconciled to the body. Be reconciled to the Father. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is saying to the church, Paul is saying to the church be reconciled. So it must be also that we do this within the church. He's saying to a church, be reconciled. Because our flesh, is a, it, it, we turn daily away from God. That's why uh, Martin Luther said we live a life of repentance, a turning back daily to God. Because our flesh, we wake up in the morning and we just, no, I don't want God. It's in our flesh. It's still, still a hangover from when we were in Adam. We have to say, no, 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 I want to be reconciled daily, coming back to him. So as a body, we can do this together. We can help each other. Come on, be reconciled. Gordon Feast, a biblical author, says this, God is not just saving individuals and preparing them for heaven. Rather, he is creating a people among whom he can live and who in their life together will produce God's life and character. We can so easily think, yeah, this is just about me getting to heaven. Hopefully, if I just go to church a bit, do some good stuff, I'll get to heaven. He's saying, that's, you missed the point completely. He's creating a people among who he can live. Among the, whom the world will see you're producing God's life and character. A kind of love people will see and experience and say, I don't know what I would have done without them. I wonder if you know people in your life, maybe around your life group or in this church, you think, I think they would say that. I don't know what I would do without Hope Church. I don't know what I would do without that family, the way they've loved me. Or maybe people who literally would say, I think I would be dead if it wasn't for that church. Because we genuinely change people's lives as we demonstrate the love of God. Perhaps people you might have heard and I wonder if you, you would think of people who might say this, I, I don't even understand why they treat me like this in a positive way. I don't understand. Where, why have they, they got so much patience for me? Why are they so gracious to me? And we want to be a body of believers who demonstrate the love of God in such a way that people think it's remarkable. It's remarkable. This is unlike worldly love. I can honestly say that's been my experience, having grown up in church through my life. The Church of Christ has been patient and gracious and kind and generous to me and encouraging me in such ways that I know it's changed my life. It's, it's a love that I know I haven't seen anywhere else. And we must keep growing in this. So coming back to what Paul was saying about the context of the local church and spiritual gifts, we think about the practice of spiritual gifts we've been talking about the last few weeks and to the, to the Corinthian church, the problem was that the practice of the spiritual gifts had become bigger to them than, and more important to them than loving others. And that was a problem. And it doesn't compute. It, misses, it misunderstands what the gifts are for. The gifts are to love others. The gifts are to build up. So don't get more interested in the gift than what the whole point of it is. So when actually operating in the many gifts God gives us, we've got to be aware they can be a hotbed for immaturity. Okay? He's talking particularly about prophecy and tongues and things like that, where we think, actually, we've just got to come back to sensible, sensitivity, love, 
Again, I, I said um, from Gordon Fee earlier, he, he grew up in a Pentecostal church. He loved it, and he does have some funny stories as well. And this is one of them. He said, there was a brother who stood up to prophesy a crazy thing. And he started typically, thus saith the Lord. When his prophecy was weighed and found wanting, it was gently suggested that perhaps it was not the Lord who had spoken after all. And he jumped to his feet and said again, thus saith the Lord, it was me. <laughs> so we can think if we're, not, if we're not people who are mature, we can actually do more damage than good can be quite unhelpful when the whole point of a gift is to build up the church, to love others. So going back to the three verses, chapter 13, 1, 2, and 3. At the beginning, without love, I offend others. Without love, it's easy to offend others, like a loud gong, a cymbal. It's not helpful. When spiritual gifts are exercised in love, rather than in competitive nature, in unhelpful nature, the body of believers is edified. It's encouraged. No one cares how much we know unless they know how much we care. So when we bring a gift, we're not trying to say, hey, I want you to be impressed with how much I know here. I've got this gift and I want you to, you know, it's not going to help anyone unless they know, hey, we're doing this because we care for you. We're doing this to build up. We're doing this to encourage David Pryor says, talking about prophecy, he says this, some Christians with this particular gift insensitively impose it on others in the congregation with considerable self-indulgence rather than a deep desire to build up the church. Some pe- such people override the feelings of those who are either unaccustomed or unsympathetic to this gift. You've got to be aware that we may have gifts. And I'm not saying, Paul's not saying you don't have the gifts that you think you have. He doesn't say that, actually. He says you have got gifts. Now use them properly. So I'm not saying here, hey, this is not, you've got it wrong. You shouldn't be prophesying. No, he doesn't say that. He says, yeah, see, eagerly desire the gifts, but do it in a healthy way and do it for the reason that we're given. The second thing, the second verse is more about without love, I am nothing. If there's no love, Paul maintains, there is nothing of any real value in our ministry. We may be successful, we may get results, we may be admired, appreciated, and applauded. But as far as God and eternity is concerned, we would be nothing without love. You've got to be careful. What is most important here? Am I, am I looking to serve God, or man, or myself? I want to serve God with this. The Corinthians clearly thought that the possessors of certain gifts were extremely important persons, And the author, Paul, is saying not only is that not important, and were they not important, they're nothing. Essentially, without love, it's nothing. It's not just a bit less important. We've got to be really careful here. And the third thing is, without love, we gain nothing. Even heavily sacrificial actions. I would give away everything. Give up my body to be burned. So sacrificial. They're not necessarily of any merit. Because such actions can be motivated in self-interest. Look at how impressive I am. Look at how self-righteous I am. Look at how, or maybe look at how humble I am, but really, it's self-righteous. So nothing is gained and the effort and sacrifice would be wasted. So when we're thinking of a church that wants to grow healthy in the spiritual gifts, healthy in love, we look at this in the context of spiritual gifts. Love is patient and kind. So if we're looking at spiritual gifts... In the context of patience and kindness, 
We're not scared of practicing spiritual gifts. If you think, I'm somebody, I'd love to try and bring a prophecy. I'd love, I think God sometimes gives me pictures, but I'm too scared. Well, if you know we're in a context safely of love, which is patient and kind, you can get things wrong. It's okay. Because the, the, the love is not just in how you bring the gifts, it's in how we receive the gifts. So we've got to be a context, a church of love that is good together in love. So if we know that is the atmosphere, then actually I'm not scared of bringing the gifts in this context. Because I get encouraged. We need to encourage each other in our gifts, even if they're a bit messy. Someone brings something to you in a group or to the front or wherever it might be. Prophecies don't have to be from the front. But we would advise that you don't do them on your own. Take someone with you. If someone, even if it's a bit messy, say, well done. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for stepping out. Particularly if you know they're nervous. Perhaps just praying for people some people can be nervous about. We can thank them. Thank you for praying for me. We be patient and kind, even if it requires a lot of patience at times. Love does not envy or boast. So how does that look in the, in the context of, prophetic, of, of uh, spiritual gifts? Well, we're looking at building the body, not the individual. So it doesn't envy their gift, because we're not looking at their gift, we're looking at the body. And it doesn't boast in my gift, because the whole point of my gift is to love the body. So uh, not boasting or being envious is thinking about the body, thinking about not the individual. It's not arrogant or rude. So we can make an effort to be sensitive and humble about the limitations within working out our gifts. Sometimes people might think, but I'm working in the power of the Spirit. It's flowing through me. I couldn't possibly be wrong. No, we've got to realize he's flowing through you. You can be wrong. The Holy Spirit works through vessels, and we can be very, we are limited. And so we've got to be aware. I'm not going to be arrogant, thinking I don't get this wrong, or rude, insisting on something, but actually be humble about the limitations that we have. It doesn't insist on its own way. We're, that's the next bit. It doesn't insist on its own way. In, this, in spiritual gifts, we are correctable and teachable. I remember when I've grown up in churches and sometimes gone to bring something at the front, a, a word or something, and been told, I'm not sure that's going to be for now, or maybe, that's great, I'll, I'll do that for you. And I've gone back to my seat thinking, I wanted to do that. I think they were right to not let me do it because my heart was more about what I want to bring something rather than I'm trying to build, we are building up the body. And if we're told, hey, I think that's not right, that's not biblical, we need to be able to trust each other in love enough to say thank you. Thank you for, being, for loving me enough and loving the body enough to recognize what's right. The thing is about if we're insisting on our own way, those those prophecies where they say, thus saith the Lord, or God said to me, they can be so unhelpful, they can be manipulative, they can be really dangerous. Heard stories of people saying, God said to me that we are going to get married. What do you do to that? What do you say when someone says that, apart from maybe say, well, God didn't say that to me. But you know, it's so dangerous for people to use it to their advantage or to say things that maybe they really feel in, uh, in sincerity, God, they think, I think God did say this. You still have to be careful about how you say things. I've heard people say, God's told me that you will have a child in nine months, people who haven't been able to conceive. 
And it's so dangerous to just blurt out things. If, God's, if you feel God said something to you, perhaps the best response is to pray for that person. Not necessarily to just go to them and blurt it out. We heard last week Tom was saying about a lady who felt that she could see that God was saying these two leaders are at loggerheads. And so she decided not to tell them that, but rather to pray for them in a specific way. That's a really helpful way of doing it. See, being correct does not validate your choice of how you said it. You could say, you know, I've heard people say, God's told me that you're pregnant, or God's told me that you've had an abortion. And they were right. But it doesn't mean that they were right to say it. The way you say things, what that person could have done, I feel God said me, oh, my heart could be broken for that person, or encouraged for them, but I'm going to pray for them, rather than I'm going to go and blurt this and manipulate and force my hand. So then next thing, it's not irritable or resentful. See, this is about as much about receiving the gifts as giving the gifts. Because when we hear people who, who often prophesy or pray, we might be tempted to think, oh, here he goes again. Or, oh, she's going to do that thing again. And our hearts are irritable and resentful. We're not actually encouraging an atmosphere where we encourage the gifts. And we encourage the building up of the body. And we're also not supposed to resent healthy leadership and correction. You may have heard people before say, well, I left that church because they wouldn't let me like, practice my gift. And I think, well, that's probably quite healthy because your attitude's disgusting. <laughs> it's not one of love. It wasn't one to build up. If you leave a church because they wouldn't let you practice your gift, then I hope the next church you get to disciples you well enough in your attitude. It's difficult for us to... Uh, well, to get all of this right, obviously. But we must be a, a body who are not irritable, resentful in the spiritual gifts. Just next ones, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Particularly in prophecy, we must have the humility to say, I'm not going to rejoice in wrongdoing. I might have got this wrong. I could bring a prophetic word where I might have got it wrong. And I'm not going to rejoice and insist that you submit to my gift. I'm going to rejoice in the truth. So if I was wrong, that's fine. I don't want to insist that you believe me. I want to rejoice with the truth. And then love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the atmosphere that encourages growth in healthy use of the spiritual gifts. It's not irritable. It's not cynical. Not judging every effort that somebody tries, but encouraging and gracious and yet wisely assessing and discerning. We want to assess and discern. We're not just going to say, oh, bring it on, bring it on. We'll take anything. No, we're called to assess wisely. Is it biblical what's happening? We discern, but we do it together as we go. We don't just sit there cynically in our seats saying, well, that's not right. I didn't like that. No, let's be gracious to each other. Let's let people grow in their spiritual gifts. So God is calling us to, to a healthy body, to a healthy expression of Spiritual gifts, and that is done through love. Love, patient, kind, doesn't do these things that wreck what he is trying to build his body up in. I'm going to pray, and uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions here before we pray. Before we pray, I'm going to ask you this: Do you know of this kind of love at your church? Whether you're visiting today or whether this is your church, do you know of this kind of love at your church? And if you do, and encourage you to thank God for it. Thank God that I'm seeing this kind of love expressed at my church. 
And I want to ask the second question. If you don't, the question could be, what could you do to bring more of that love at your church? What can you be doing to express more of that love and to bring more of that love at your church? And finally, perhaps there's a question that is pertinent to today is, where do I need to reevaluate my understanding or my use of spiritual gifts? If we're going to understand that the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body, it's really important that we evaluate, am I doing that with my gifts? Or do I pressure people with it? Do I manipulate with it? Do I insist on my way? Am I unpatient or unkind with people? So it's good to evaluate that. Father, we thank you that you have a great plan for your church. Thank you that the church is your bride, it's your body, it's your family, it's the household of God. And you want it to be healthy, vibrant, strong. So Lord, we just want to come under your authority with that. We want to come under your wise counsel so that we could experience more of your love, experience more of your goodness. We thank you for this love of God, which is unlike any worldly love. And we want to express it to the world and to each other. So Lord, we just pray, help us. Help us to experience more of your love and reflect it more to each other and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Hipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.